0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast. My name is Alessandra.
1: My name is Brooke.
0: My name is Teda. My is Noah. And our topic this week is police use of force, specifically on minority groups and people with mental illness. We will be covering topics such as the criminal code in relation to use of force, the use of force continuum, police interactions with racialized communities, and media references.
2: So currently, um, there are many TV shows and movies that display systemic racism and police brutality. TV shows such as SWAT Law & Order and Chicago PD are changing police brutality storylines due to the George Floyd Floyd incident and protests. This proves that the amount of force that police use in certain situations is questionable and is a growing concern
0: It's interesting that you mentioned that because there is a popular comedy show called Brooklyn Nine-Nine that revolves around a police department that is going to be canceled after its eighth season um, will premiere later this year. It's being canceled as it has received public scrutiny as it's difficult to have a comedy surrounding a police department with the climate that we're in. So the creators decided to end the series. Thank you for sharing that. So there are two sections of the Criminal Code of Canada that refers to the use of force, sections 26 and 27. Section 26 refers to excessive force and states that everyone who is authorized by law to use force is criminally responsible for any excess according to the nature and quality that constitutes the excess. Section 27 refers to the use of force to prevent commission of an offense stating that everyone is justified in using as much force as as is reasonably necessary in order to prevent the commission of an offense and to prevent anything being done that on reasonable grounds they would believe would be an offense. The use of force continuum is a standard model that is taught to police officers or anyone with authority to use force. There are a variety of levels of this continuum, which include officer presence, dialogue, communication, empty hands, compliance tools, and lethal force.
1: Okay, and I'll be talking about some statistics. So did you know that the deadly force database shows that most Canadians who have been killed in police confrontations suffer from mental illness or substance abuse, which was 68% of all cases?
2: yes so it is known that police use of force is more common where an individual is violent or intoxicated um there is actually a term called suicide by cop and it often involves individuals that suffer from mental illness substance abuse and uh suicidal tendencies
1: mm-hmm. an indi- indigenous person in canada is more than 10 times likely to have been shot and killed by a police officer in canada since 2017 than a white person. Black people, and specifically black men, were overrepresented in everything from investigations um, into the use of force, sexual assault by police, to inappropriate or unjustified searches and charges.
2: Yes, so again, um, there is a disproportionate amount of police use of force involving racialized groups.
1: Mm -hmm. CTV researchers examined 100 cases since 2017 and found that 92 of the 100 individuals who were killed in police confrontations were men. CTV researchers also found that more than half of those um, fatalities involved individuals between 20 and 30 years old. Thank you
2: for sharing those statistics um Brock. no problem so, since uh, um we talked a, a b- bit about the background um of police use of force and some st- statistics i'll be sharing a story um and this story involves an off-duty officer so in december of 2016 constable michael Carrión and his brother christian assaulted a 19-year-old Uh, by the name of Defonte Miller. During the incident, Constable Michael was off duty. The brothers beat Miller with a metal pipe, leaving him with a ruptured eye and other injuries. Constable Michael alleged that Miller was stealing from their family's truck and feared for his life um, and acted in self-defense. But Ontario Supreme Court Justice Joseph DeLuca did not believe that this was an act of self-defense and. stated that the accused went too far. Constable Michael was convicted and sentenced to nine months in jail. He also faces nine, um, he also faces a dis- disciplinary hearing by the Toronto Police Service. This is a rare case in which a police officer was held accountable. Devonte Miller was given a voice, which proves that there are situations that police officers, you just, um, Too much force, too much and unnecessary amount of force.
1: So how long did it take for him to be convicted?
2: So this incident occurred in December of 2016, and Michael was convicted in December of 2020. So um, about four years after the incident was he held accountable.
1: Oh, wow. That's a long time.
2: And um, there is instances where there's victim-precipitated homicides, that victims act in a manner that instigates use of deadly force. Obviously, um, DeFonte he wasn't killed in this situation. But um, and, and in my opinion, I don't think that he did anything to really instigate the use of force that he received.
3: I think it's also, um, in terms of the situation, important to look at uh, it from the point of view of the off-duty officer. Because um, obviously Devonte didn't deserve to have his like um, vision damage and everything, and like have excessive force used on him. But um, he did try to steal, or allegedly try to steal, from the guy's truck. And in terms of like that guy's point of view, the off-duty officer sometimes like in those moments you're acting on adrenaline and stuff like that. So it's um it's kind of hard to control your emotions. Obviously not justified in what he did at all, but it's um it's like those situations, right? It's um it's important to look at it from the police officer's point of view because they have to make those split-second decisions, right? So it's um, it's definitely tough. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Now, do you think that he had the right to do what he did?
2: So by law, um, an off-duty officer must carry their badge. Um, As long as he had his badge, with him he's considered a member of the police force and can make arrest just like a cop in uniform mm-hmm. um but in this case he didn't make an arrest he brutally beat um he brutally beats the victim and uh left him with with the, I, I'm pretty sure blind in one eye, yeah. so um, I don't think it's justifiable. And again, there's, um, as Noah said, there's instances where police officers have to act in a split second. But I feel like this was not him. This wasn't. Um, Michael wasn't acting in the law. He was acting out of personal benefit or personal for a personal reason, which he was stealing from his family's car. Um, and in the story. I read other articles that stated that Defonte was also stealing from more cars, but in Michael's statement, he only was concerned with his car.
1: Yeah, so he was only defending himself.
2: Yeah, he was only worried, concerned about his his belongings and not anyone else, which in my, as I see it, like if you're an a, a officer, you see someone stealing from anybody's car, you're gonna make that arrest and make that choice to, to arrest them. But um. The fact that he used as much force as he did was just not justifiable. And it was unnecessary opinion. as
1: well. I think it was totally unnecessary. hmm Yeah.
2: So, um, I guess we can move on to Noah now. We can discuss what um, an individual like Devonte could do about this. Um...
3: Yeah, so if you've been in the unfortunate situation to have been a victim of police brutality, you have a couple options to address the situation. So the first is the less aggressive option which is to file a complaint and then the second one is to press criminal charges so when so when submitting a formal complaint against a police officer there are several several steps you can take so you have to first look at if you receive medical help police are required to provide you with medical assistance if the arrest resulted in any injuries if the officer fails to provide you with medical care you can they can be held accountable for negligence so if you're able to record yourself asking for help or have someone else record you, that can then be used as direct evidence. So you will also need to provide uh, documentation of the incident. So critical information would be names, badge numbers of the officers in the incident, date, time, location. So injuries, of injuries. so like photos, uh, medical records, how your life has been impacted since. If the incident occurred in a public space, there may be video evidence of it. So your lawyer can go through the legal procedures to acquire that evidence so that it isn't tampered with. When filing a complaint, if it's less serious, you can go to your local police station and work directly with the police to deal with your complaint. This is what we call a local resolution. If the complaint is more serious, you can contact the Office of the Independent Police Review Director, which is an independent organization that handles complaints about police in Ontario. So you're going to need to first sign a complaint form, and then details of the case will be forwarded to the relevant police department, which is assigned with tantalizing complaints. If you have decided to go through this route, um, they will state how the the OIPRD will state uh, how the complaint will be investigated and the expectations of it. All parties will receive an explanation on how a decision will be reached, and then the chief or OPP commissioner will then decide if the complaint is valid When it comes to gathering evidence, you may be required to provide witness statements, which officers will submit as well. A thorough investigation will be done, including an update from the police. Uh, When looking at what to expect after the investigation, if the complaint is unsubstantiated due to lack of evidence, you may request an appeal, but you can not appeal who will conduct the investigation. If the complaint, however, is substantiated, the investigators will classify the complaint depending on its severity. And then lastly, the police service determines the nature of the discipline. So outcomes for less serious police misconduct would be um, ordering the involved officers to write an apology letter, suspension of the police officer without pay, forfeit of pay, or time off. And the more serious outcomes for police misconduct for the officer would be forfeit of pay, suspension, demotion, or dismissal. So then um, if you decide to go with the other route, which is to press a criminal charge, possible convictions may include harassment, abuse, or failing to provide medical care. The key to this is you must prove that the officer's behavior resulted in your injuries. And if you're choosing to press criminal charges, uh, it is best to retain a police brutality lawyer. So when looking at what rights may have been violated, if police force is unnecessary or torture or ill treatment, uh, and in violation of your rights of freedom, uh, discrimination, liberty and security and equal protection. When looking at what qualifies as police harassment abuse of an officer's authority by continually stopping someone aggressively questioning them or conducting illegal search and seizure seizure without legal basis so then lastly consequences of a lawsuit or a criminal charge would be if you decide to sue a police officer in a civil lawsuit a trial will be held in court where you have to explain your complaint to the judge and then if you win you will then be awarded damages or the officer may be convicted of a criminal offense and penalized so obviously unfortunate situation to have to be in, but you do have options. And I just want to go through the, uh, the options that you do have. Thank you for listening to our podcast and, uh, have a great day, everyone.